The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Confession, I love All Saints Day, <laughs> and the reason I love it is because this day, above all others, invites us to remember and give thanks for all the faithful people who have come before us, those who have made this world a better place, those who have shaped us for the good, those who have made us the people we are. We rightly call all such persons saints the faithful departed who in ways large and small have embodied some aspect of Christ-like living. The term saint, however, has not always been used by Christians in the same way, and to this day there are still major differences in usage, especially between Protestant and Catholic Christians. So the focus of my sermon this morning is to try to shed some light on this subject so that we might better understand what it is we are doing on All Saints Day. So let's start where Lutherans like to start, with Scripture. According to the New Testament, there is an important and primary sense in which all faithful Christians, both the living and the dead, are saints because they share in the life of Christ by virtue of baptism. Thus, for example, throughout the Acts of the Apostles, see chapter 9, verse 32, chapter 26, verse 10, for those of you who are taking notes, the term saint is consistently applied to all those who are baptized. So too does the Apostle Paul routinely address all the members of the Christian communities that receive his letters at saint, as saints. And he typically does so in the greeting to the letter at the very beginning. Look at Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a pretty standard way for him to talk to his community. It is thus clear from these New Testament examples that we are all saints. And the reason this is so is not because of the merits of our behavior, but only because Christ makes it possible for us to be saints 
by allowing us to share in his life, initially in baptism, and then through word and sacrament. As the church evolved throughout history, however, the term saint came to have another meaning altogether. It was used to refer to elite Christians, those whose lives were particularly exemplary because of their self-sacrifice, witness, virtue, or other accomplishments. And recognition was especially given to the martyrs of the early church, those who suffered and died for their faith. Such elite saints quickly became the heroes of the church, and their lives were understandably heralded. To make a very long story short, the medieval church then developed a theological framework for understanding this distinction between regular believers on the one hand and elite ones on the other, a distinction still enshrined to some extent in official Roman Catholic theology. The Roman church divides the faithful departed into two categories. The church triumphant, that is, those extraordinary Christians whose lives were sufficiently holy to warrant immediate entry into heaven, and the church expectant, those departed Christians whose lives were faithful, but not yet quite holy enough for heaven, and who reside in an intermediate state of purification called purgatory, as they make their way toward Roman Catholics venerate and pray to the elite saints, the saints of the church triumphant, because they are believed to be in more intimate relationship with Christ and can intercede on behalf of all Christian pilgrims, both living and dead, who are still moving toward purification. For Roman Catholic Christians, saints are thus more than just witnesses of the faith, they are also protectors and intercessors. Because of this special status, the observance of heroic saints' days proliferated in the Western Church during the Middle Ages. Churches and institutions were named for such saints. Many faithful people made pilgrimages to shrines of saints. Moreover, the practice emerged of venerating the relics of saints, as tangible remembrances of their lives. Such relics were also believed to have special powers of healing as well as penitential merit. In the medieval church, many believers were convinced that by praying over relics, touching them, or even just looking at them, one could earn points toward salvation. Notably, and now we're getting close to the Reformation, Frederick the Wise, the ruler of Saxony during the time of Martin Luther, he was a devoted collector of saints' relics, having amassed a collection of over 19,000 such items. Frederick claimed to have a thorn from Christ's crown of thorns, a hair from Jesus' beard, a gold piece given to Jesus by the Magi, pieces from Jesus' crib, 
Four hairs from the head of Mary, a stone on which Jesus had stood before he ascended into heaven, and other items of, shall we say, dubious historicity. <laughs> Frederick was so proud of his collection that every year on All Saints Day, he made his relics available for public viewing. On that day, thousands of people would come to Wittenberg to venerate his collection of relics, believing that they would derive spiritual benefit by doing so. Now, I'm guessing you know how Martin Luther felt about such matters. <laughs> Whether this superstitious and somewhat ghoulish practice had anything to do with Luther's decision just a day earlier, to launch the Reformation by posting his 95 Theses of Disputation on the Wittenberg Castle door, I will leave to the historians to decide. As we know, of course, the immediate focus of Luther's 95 Theses was an objection to the medieval church's cynical practice of raising money by selling indulgences, payments received by the church for special prayers to be said for those departed friends and relatives who were still allegedly in purgatory and not yet full-fledged saints. But Luther also expressed a similarly dim view of the related practices of venerating saints' relics and praying directly to them. All such practices, Luther contended, were premised on a false understanding of sainthood, an unbiblical one and a misconceived notion of the nature of a believer's relationship to Christ. We are saints, not because of anything we do, but only by virtue of what Christ did and does on our behalf. Only Christ is purely saintly. On our own, we are all but lost sinners. We become saints only because of baptism, Hence Luther's famous phrase, we are simultaneously sinner and saint. I won't try to pronounce it in Latin, never one of my strong suits. It is our faith in what Christ has done for us that saves us, not our own works, which inevitably fall short, even the works of heroic Christians. Thus, for Protestants, heroic saints from the past have no special status in heaven, no special intercessory power. All the baptized are saints without distinction. And in keeping with this view, the reformers also emphatically rejected the idea of purgatory as a decidedly unbiblical notion. We believe that all faithful Christians enjoy a life in Christ after death, again, without distinction. In fact, so exercised with Luther about the medieval church's misconceived notions of sainthood and its propensity to worship and pray to the saints of old that he once preached an All Saints Day sermon in which he famously objected to honoring any and all departed Christians with characteristic hyperbole. You know, he was sort of known for that and precious little sentimentality, he wrote this, preached this from the pulpit on All Saints Day. Quote, I have previously and often said how the saints should be honored, 
That is, you must make a distinction between the saints who are dead and those who are still with us. You must turn away from the dead and honor only the living saints. The living saints are your neighbors, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the poor, those who have wives and children, who suffer shame, who lie in sin. Turn to them and help them. That is where you are to apply your works. You have God's command to help the living, but nowhere has God commanded you to do anything for the dead. There is no command in the Bible that you should honor dead saints. So let go of that and turn to those whom you know God is pleased that you honor. Don't we have enough to do pursuing what God has in fact commanded us to do? Don't you love Luther? <laughs> there is much that is right, of course, about this urgent call to focus on the needs of our living neighbors rather than worshiping the dead. And, as Luther himself later recognized in a calmer moment, that doesn't mean we can't also learn from the lives of those who have gone before us, especially on days like All Saints Day, a view that happily and ultimately became embodied as the Lutheran Church's official position in Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession. And I cite that just to prove to you that I'm actually reading this Lutheran stuff <laughs> and learning. It's also in the 39 Articles of the Episcopal Church. So, with all that history out of the way, end of history lesson, we can this morning, with a clear conscience and in good faith, pay homage to all the saints, both the living and the dead, and learn from their myriad examples. Accordingly, during our prayers and as we share in the Lord's Supper, I invite you to do a personal inventory of all those persons, those saints whose lives have touched yours in good and holy ways over the course of your life. Think about members of your family, your friends, teachers, mentors, coaches, Think about statesmen and stateswomen, philanthropists, soldiers, writers, artists, musicians. Think, too, about those great women and men from history who have been moral heroes to you. And for each and every one of these saints, let us give thanks. Thanks for their witness to all that is good and true and noble and just. And let us thank them, too, for offering us but a glimmer in their own particular ways of that perfect humanity that is reflected in God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be all honor and glory forever and ever. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>